Welcome to Net Migrations, Pittsburgh's first podcast dedicated to the immigrant soccer community. My name is Eric Moreno and I'm your host. I'll be bringing on various leaders from across the Pittsburgh immigrant soccer community and we'll hear about their life stories, their current work, and their missions for the future. Let's get it. All right, welcome back to the second episode of Net Migrations. I'm here today with Justin Forzano. Uh, welcome, Justin. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, so Justin Forzano is the founder and CEO of Open Field, an international sport-based youth development organization based in Pittsburgh, PA, with the mission to improve the lives and futures of youth through sport. In addition to leading the organization, Justin served as a coach mentor, facilitating programming for immigrant and refugee youth in the Pittsburgh community for the last five years. He holds a Master of Public Policy Management from the University of Pittsburgh, Graduate School of Public and International Affairs, and is a graduate of the University of Dayton with a Bachelor of Civil Engineering. Forzano is an Albert Schweitzer Fellow for Life and was named one of Pittsburgh Magazine's 40 Under 40 in 2018. Forzano also practices and teaches original hot yoga and intermediate hatha yoga. So, welcome to the podcast, Justin. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks again, Eric. Happy to be here. Yeah, so I wanted to start with just talking about your story just from kind of the beginning, like growing up, obviously focusing on soccer, like what role did soccer play in your life? And then moving into, I know one of the big turning points in your life was uh, studying abroad in Cameroon. So could you kind of just walk me through kind of your early years and into into college? Sure. So um, I often like to credit my next door neighbor for kind of, I guess, bringing soccer into my family. And um, into growing, you know, our experience growing up. So when I was probably three or four years old, we moved into the neighborhood where I spent, you know, most of my childhood, where my parents still live, called North Park, which is in Wheeling, West Virginia. And uh, our next door neighbors, two doors down, the the father, Jim Regan, was um, who was like a staple in the Wheeling soccer community. He coached at Wheeling Jesuit University or Wheeling, yeah. Wheeling University now. Um, he started the women's program there. He coached both men's and women's for many, many years before the growing the program where they were able to hire, you know, staff to run that, the men's and women's team, you know. And um, and so I guess, like, yeah, I don't think my parents would have, you know, would have encouraged, let me say, uh, me and my two, two younger sisters to play soccer if it, if it wasn't for the Regans next door. Um, you know, when we turned five, we started playing a kitty kick, right, and continued to play ever since then. So, um, so yeah, it was always, like, a huge part of my life. Um, elementary school, middle school, high school, always played, you know, club, first community rec, and then club, and played in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a big part of, I mean, it was certainly, like, a big part of my identity. You know, every afternoon or every evening, we're going to play soccer. Yep. Um, weekends, you know, going to tournaments and all that stuff, like, I think – fondly about you know my childhood I, and, and then when I think about now like the connection to the, the opportunities we're creating for youth and I know I'm jumping ahead but um but I do think about the experience that I had whether it was weekend tournaments or you know playing in high school and going to practice every day after school um all of that stuff like yeah those are like child I I often call them like childhood defining memories and moments and experiences yeah so um so yeah it was always kind of it was always there in our house like I said both my sisters who came up behind me played soccer um one of them played four years in college goalkeeper um yeah the other one played one year in college so all of you know all of us played all four years in high school and club awesome so and then you ended up going to the University of Dayton um and 
so I know you majored in civil engineering, right? Um, so could you talk kind of kind of talk us through like how the engineering was related to going to Cameroon and then um, you know what the experience was like going abroad for you? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess after my second year, sophomore year of college, um, I did an internship and I uh, worked for a construction company and spent like half the summer working on this construction site. And so I got my degree in civil engineering. So it was like the, the co-op, you know, what every engineering student is expected to do. You work three semesters and you get paid, which is nice. Um, and, and then you're usually you're on your path to a job. So I did the first summer, first semester, and I was like, yeah, this is not for me. And so that fall, I went back to school and I got an email within, you know, probably in September that's, that was like an invitation to travel abroad with this program, very similar to Engineers Without Borders. And, um, and so for the first time, it was, it was still in its early years, and students had gone mostly to South America. There was an opportunity to go to Cameroon, West Africa, Central Africa, and so no engineering student had gone with the program before, so I was going to be the first one. That's awesome. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was an adventure to say the least. Um, I signed up not knowing what I was getting myself into, but it seemed like a cool experience. Five weeks in sub-Saharan Africa over the summer between my... Uh, junior and senior year was it yeah and so um yeah I just said yeah let's do it so that's kind of where um how the opportunity presented itself and so I spent five weeks in the country lived with the host family um got to travel around and, and have tons of cool experiences and really um looking the organization I was placed with was really interesting because they focused on like development in rural communities and really looking at like sustainable solutions. So we looked at projects that were built by foreigners that like weren't, didn't involve local community input that were not like designed in a way that would be sustained. And so many of them were abandoned, um, mostly water projects. So, um, but we also looked at projects where like there was, you know, big, great community buy-in, um, local leadership involved in the, in the planning, you know, from start to finish. And they were still, you know, they were successful. They were still, water was still flowing. So after that experience, I was, you know, eight, 19, 20 years old, came back to the U.S., and I was just like, this, this is incredible. Like, um, I want to do more of this. Like, I want to go back. And um, ended up going back two summers, two, two, two summers again, right? So even after I graduated, I went back. Um, but I guess what I left out, those first five weeks in country, like, I'm not going to lie, the third, fourth week, it was challenging. Um, being a, it was the first time I'm a white guy, so yeah. being a minority – Right. Like um, the last week, especially after all the other Americans had gone home, mm. I was left in, in Cameroon and Cameroon is not like a country where a lot of Westerners are traveling. Yeah. So um, I was probably one of very few, the only white guy that I saw the rest of my time there. Mm. So it was like challenging, you know, for me. But um, but finding like building relationships on the soccer field, like every afternoon we played soccer in our neighborhood. There was a small little pitch that was nothing that didn't look very much anything like a soccer field with the exception of these two little posts that were at either end of the field. Um, but every afternoon we went there like rain or shine, it never failed. And so like some of the relationships, I mean, the co-founder of the organization I met that summer, um, one of my best friends, I was the best man in his wedding, um, you know, wow. five or seven years ago, we played soccer on that field. So so in addition to, you know, the great experience that I had through, like, the engineering and, and the traveling, it was also through the soccer. Yeah. So at what point did you decide, like, 
because for for all of our listeners, Open Field started out, started out as Cameroon FDP football development program. Um, at what point did you decide, okay, I want to create this organization? Um, could you walk me through the, the early steps of that? And then also, obviously, Cameroon FDP was focused on soccer. When did you kind of make the mental transition from engineering to more of like the social side of things? Yeah, I guess it, it sort of happened in two phases, I'll say. So phase one happened the next two years when I was in, still in school and still traveling to Cameroon because it's interesting, like the soccer, like the, the connection to the soccer community and, and this idea, even for this podcast, because when I got back, some leaders in the wheeling soccer community, again, where I grew up, um, found out about found out found out about this trip and and reached out to me and said, hey, we have all these soccer jerseys. Like, would you want to take them over to Cameroon? Or hey, we have all these cleats. Would you want to take them over? And so, really, between year one and year two, I ended up filling my suitcases with soccer cleats and with jerseys and taking them over. And so there, I guess, like the seed was planted. That was kind of phase one. Again, without even really like asking for it, I just got all this gear and took it over there. And I saw how important it was to people. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of phase one, I guess, to the, to the evolution of this, of this organization, Open Field. I guess part two would have what happened after I graduated. It's 2020. It's early in 2020, the year that South Africa hosted the World Cup. Mm. So there's a lot of press and a lot of media around organizations using sport in Africa to make a difference. And so when I saw that, I, I, ca- I called Peter, the co-founder, again, whom I met in 2006, like on this little neighborhood soccer field. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, like, look, look at what's happening all over the continent. Like, is this happening in Cameroon? Or, and if not, like, like, why don't we do this? And um, that was really all it took. Like, that was when not only the seed was planted, like, that was when we started making things happen. So that was in March of 2010. By August of 2010, I was on my way to Cameroon with, you know, two more suitcases full of soccer donations from – folks in Wheeling and in Pittsburgh, mm. and um, in this, you know, idea to, to start the organization. And so, obviously, it's 2023 now, almost 2024. So, 2010, what were the first, I know, okay, so for our listeners, there was a big transition in, in the organization and rebranding, renaming from Cameroon FDP to Open Field. That was in 2019, um, correct me if I'm wrong. And so, could you kind of give me a, like a kind of outline of what happened between 2010, 2019, like how, how did the organization evolve? Obviously you were kind of like a young, kind of a, I know it's a nonprofit, but you were sort of an entrepreneur in, in this, in this space, Definitely. um, on, both on the personal and organizational level, like how did you grow? How did the organization grow? Um, and how did it evolve? Sure. So yeah, so 2010, we start, um, with, you know, a couple bags of soccer gear and a curriculum that we borrowed from this group called Grassroots Soccer. It's one of the largest organizations that doing this kind of work all over the world. Um, by 2011, we incorporated here in the U.S. and we were working to get our 501c3 nonprofit status. I was still working as an engineer, uh, so still working, you know, my nine to five. And by 2012 is when I quit working full time and I travel we got our 501c3 status so early in, in 2012 mm-hmm. uh and traveled to cameroon and spent five months there oh wow yeah so i just kind of like i put my stuff in the storage unit i sold my car and i went to cameroon for yeah five months wow i didn't know that yep 
And, um, and so that was where I really like did a bunch of training with community coaches, really built out the team. You know, I would say in 2010 and 11, it was folks that were just kind of volunteering. You know, I would send over some money every month from, from my paycheck and just kind of support them, keep things moving. But mm. we we're just doing some after school programs, really volunteer basis. But 2012 is when we really kind of kicked things into full gear mm. and, um, you know, was able to bring people in to start working full time um, and pay them, you know, something. Yeah. Um, we, like I said, we had a nonprofit status, so we started doing fundraising events and bringing in a, a little bit more cash. We got our first grant from Rotary in 2013, again, nice. with connections in the Pittsburgh community. Yeah. Um, and with with the help of some other interns uh, at the University of Pittsburgh, a lot of students were volunteering. It was all volunteer. I wasn't getting paid. Mm. Um, I was just doing side gigs here and there. I worked in a restaurant. I used to referee a lot. Mm. Um, did a bunch of different kind of hustles. And then 2015, I started grad school. So really got plugged in the University of Pittsburgh, and mm-hmm. that's where a lot of folks started helping us out. We got our first grant from FIFA. Uh, we got into this Common Goal organization, which is an international network of organizations that focus on football for good, Yeah. Um, using soccer to make community change. And um, so with the FIFA grant, again, the, you know, just started to keep, just keep growing year over year. Um, we really refined our approach 2016. We really focus on like a youth-led approach and community-based approach. We've spent a lot of money on transportation, mm. moving teams back and forth, and so we wanted to like we took a pause, and then, I guess, relaunched with neighborhood-based like five v five, seven v seven small-sided games, so that we could maximize the use of any kind of space. We yep. didn't have to go to like the nice field because there were only very few of them in town. Yeah. So we're like taking advantage of small community spaces. You know, if neighborhoods only have ten or fifteen kids, twenty kids, then we could you know, we're 30, 40 kids, we can set up our own little league in the neighborhood by playing fives, five aside. Yep. So that was the approach 2016, 2017. Um, and then with the success we had there by 2018, two different things. Number one, it was like, this is, this, this is going really well. Like this is working. Yeah. Um, over the course of that time, I had also connected with other groups in Pittsburgh, boys and girls club, soccer in the community, um, linked up with Haji. Haji and I were working really closely together. Uh, at the time, we started the, the, the Pittsburgh Soccer League in yep. 2015, I think, yep. 2016. So um, with that experience that I had here, it was like, let's take, the, let's take this model that's working in Cameroon and bring it here to Pittsburgh. Um, so it was, also, it was also a sustainability thing, too. Yeah. Right? You know, as a small organization, it became apparent that based in Pittsburgh, again, another reason why this kind of podcast is so important is because, you know, while a lot of people are working to change this, Pittsburgh is not the most interna- international or globally minded city. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. we still are kind of caught in this space in between the Midwest and the East Coast where, like, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh. Right. And um, the identity of Pittsburgh is mostly Pittsburgh. So for internationals and the international perspective is not always embraced. Yeah. So, you know, while we did get some great supporters here that still continue to support us to this day, the idea of working in Cameroon was a very foreign you know, pun intended concept. Mm -hmm. So it was challenging. So the idea to kind of rebrand and to grow and expand the roots here in Pittsburgh was one that was also like necessary from a sustainability perspective. Yeah. And like, so in addition to the, to the immigrant side of things, soccer is also not that big in Pittsburgh. So it's, it's, it's twofold. And for me, it was a culture shock coming from, as you know, the DC area, I'm from Maryland, um, which is an area with a huge and very built out immigrant community from places all around the world, Latin America, a lot of, a lot of also East Africans, like Ethiopians, Eritreans, um, and also West Africans as well. 
and also a big soccer community. Like if you see, if you look at the DC United Academy, like there's a ton of immigrant players on there. And even, even in club, like when I played club, like we had a super diverse team with guys from all over. Um, and I came to Pittsburgh and it was like, okay, I need to reorient myself because people do not care about soccer here. Like they just don't. Very different. Yeah. Soccer scene is small, mighty connected, like very well connected. Mm-hmm. And like the community is real. It's great. Yeah. It's small. Yeah. And I know I asked Haji as well about starting the adult soccer league. Could you talk a little bit more about that, like Pittsburgh soccer in the community? Like, because I know you also played a role in kind of helping kick that up. Do you mind talking a little bit about, about that as well? Yeah. So, um, it kind of came about as a partnership between Open Field, Cameroon FTP at the time, this other group uh, called Play Soccer International and Soccer in the Community, um, where we were looking at different partnership. You know, Play Soccer International at the time had operations in, or had some activities, some historical activities in Cameroon. And so they were looking to connect with us to kind of reignite those and also looking at Pittsburgh as a potential other site in, in Pittsburgh. So, again, long story short, we kind of started conversations about what kind of partnership would look like. And then out of those conversations really resulted in me linking up with soccer in the community and helping to kind of run their Pittsburgh programs. So I took on the role there of, you know, starting and building some after school programs that, mm. that were, I mean, they had done some in the past, but it had been a little bit, a little while. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, helped, you know, build out this, the after school program, a lot of community soccer camps with them. Um, Haji at the time was working as the facilities manager. So it wasn't long before, you know, he and I started just working together. And I mean, the idea for the, for the, the soccer league came about, you know, after maybe before or right after the, the election, Mm. um, you know, and I guess it was 20, the election was 2015 going into 2016. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, that was, um, I guess it was 2016. Yeah, it was 2016. So, yeah, so, but even ahead of that, I think it was even, like, at the end of 2015, just, like, going into that election cycle is when, like, an opportunity came about to invest in, you know, underrepresented communities. Right. And so that's kind of where this idea of, like, this We Speak Soccer came about. And so, we you know, we put together this this pitch, and we got our first grant, and um, and then just built out the league from there. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of how, you know, those, all those experiences, those several years of experience and connection, you know, with Haji, with others from the Somali Bantu community, and then getting more connected with the refugee community and the resettlement, you know, agencies here in Pittsburgh kind of opened the door for the eventual expansion of open field from Cameroon to Pittsburgh. Awesome, man. And so do you mind talking about the, as I, as I referred to earlier, the rebranding, the kind of pivot in strategy, um, for open field, which as 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 I mentioned, happened in 2019. Um, I know the organization has grown a, a lot over the last. It's almost yeah, like three four years now. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Like what kind of went through your head pivoting from, as you said, kind of ba- being based in Cameroon to being based in Pittsburgh, and how has that transition been? Yeah, it was um, it was a it was a process. It started in the fall of 2018, and it really came about with the realization that like, like I mentioned earlier, like this is not sustainable, right? Yeah. Like if I was to stop doing this, nobody else would come in and take it over. Yeah. It wasn't enough money to pay anybody, even part-time. Mm. So it, you know, the idea of it being kind of volunteer led, it, it just didn't seem sustainable to me. Mm. And, and then again, just in kind of conversation with a couple of different folks and looking at a bu- so many like recently resettled refugees from Congo, from Central Africa. Yeah. Um, 
in knowing that like a lot of them were looking for programming, right? We had a lot of folks when I was working at soccer in the community reach out about, can you do a program in this neighborhood or can we do something here? But we just didn't have the bandwidth. Like it, mm. we weren't able to do it. So I knew there was a demand. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of put two and two together and it was like, it was, it was a matter of six months and I reached out to my board and I said, Hey, what do you think about this idea? Like, I think we should launch programming in Pittsburgh. It's going to move us down the path towards sustainability. Yep. Um, and the best way to do that is is to incorporate a rebrand. It doesn't make sense to be Cameroon FTP in Pittsburgh. Yep. Um, and I got a little pushback because it was like, why don't we just do the, like, let's just launch the program. Let's prove that it works first, and then we can rebrand and change the name. Uh... We don't want to spend the time or the money hiring a consultant, doing all the work, doing, you know, we, we did strategy sessions. We invited, you know, community members, the team in Cameroon, like everybody played a role in this. It wasn't just like, you know, me kind of making it up on my own. Yep. And, um, and so the, the pushback that I got challenged me to like make the case. So I made the case like that this would work. You mm. know what I mean? I kind of painted the picture of what the vision could look like. Yeah. Even though I barely knew because so many things have changed over the last five years. But, um, but I, I, I made the case and um, they bought in. And so within six months, you know, from November of 2018 to June, May, June of 2019, mm-hmm. we did the rebrand. We, like, we did the strategy kind of outlook planning. We kind of lined up some funding. You know, community partners lined up, came behind to support this, did the rebrand, hired the consultant, launched the new brand, and then launched programming in 2019. And so in that summer, we employed eight teenagers to be assistant coach mentors. Yep. Right? Like, just like we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, we started in Northview Heights, and then we expanded in Crafton Heights. And there were days when I was out there running programs with 40 kids, because you know kids show up. Um, yeah. They don't care if you say it's from ages 10 to 15. They're all showing up. They're all ready to play. Yeah. So um, so that happened, and we started getting more volunteers, and, and that was kind of when the you know seeds were planted, and, and we were, like, on our way. That is so awesome. And so – now there's you talked about sustainability, which is like I I in my opinion one of the one of the really big assets that 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 I view that Open Field has. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? Like how how have you incorporated sustainability into into Open Field's model now? Like I know that we're we're working a lot more with you know high schoolers to pay them as refs and stuff like that. Like how did that idea come about? And could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean from an organizational sustainability is like this interesting thing. And and I used to be a little bit jaded with the concept because a lot of funders will ask, like, what are you going to do to sustain this program or this project after the funding run, you know, cycle is complete? Yeah. And any nonprofit, like almost all, non- very few nonprofits, let me say, are, are running on like earned income yeah. from either, you know, ex- products or services that they sell. Um, we rely on there's there's a reason why foundations exist. There's a reason why nonprofits exist. Yeah. So the idea that like a nonprofit would never be fundraising is not realistic. Mm-hmm. So when I think about sustainability, it's more about like how many different kind of revenue streams can we create and and balance them out and you know and and deliver. Like that's the you know our programming is so efficient and we utilize resources in, in a very effective way yeah. that I think is really important when we think about sustainability that like it's easy to make the case to a funder why our why our work is why our work is important but also like how our organization really utilizes resources in a way that is as meaningful as possible yeah so that's kind of the first part um, the second part to your question about like teenagers and like thinking about like the pathway for for young people in our program 
when they like quote unquote age out of our out of our program. Mm-hmm. So a lot of organizations that are working with youth really stop their services at 18. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even it's not because they want to, but like a funder will limit their you know the the capacity or the, the scope of of the program. So um so I think that when we think about sustainability, we've already like opened the doors to to our programming model in such a way that it can like support young people as they grow into young adults. Yeah. Um, so I've gotten really fond of this uh, saying that we uh, run programs for youth ages six to 26, right? Because I think we start and connect with young people when they are able to really kind of play in an organized way Yeah. and are able to support them, whether it's just for fun when they're playing and learning and developing these social skills is really important, like critical decision-making, goal-setting, empathy, showing, you know, emotional regulation, these things that we can learn and teach through soccer mm-hmm. um, at a younger age. And then when they get to their teenage years and they want to start making money and they want to start thinking about their future, we're able to support them to make money. We be in this referee program that we're building out now um, as part of the youth leader program, I think is a really cool way to do that because we need refs. Open field needs refs. Almost every soccer organization in this region needs refs. Yep. And there is a pathway if if a young person is really passionate about refereeing, to ref at the collegiate level and up, right? Like, yeah. So there's that. Um, and then, like, long-term, sustain- like, when we think about, again, like, sustainability, we want people from the communities where we work to be running our programs. So five years from now, ten years from now, the goal is that, like, everybody on the team is a is foreign, is a, is an immigrant or a refugee. Yeah. Right. And like it's and so the best way to do that is to make sure that young people that are in our programs now have the skills that they need to be able to like go get a degree or go get these other professional experiences that will help them and prepare them to step into a leadership role here at Open Field, but also that they feel welcome to and that they want to come back. And I think the staff right now are doing a great job of that. Yeah. Um, and I know that we're we're in the process of kind of of doing some kind of major strategic planning for the next few years up, you know, talking about up to 2026. Um, and just for, for our listeners that, that aren't fully aware of like everything that open field does, do you mind giving like a high level kind of overview of, um, what the different buckets of work are for open field? Yeah, of course. Um, so right now we, the way we are looking at it is if we think about the Pittsburgh programs, there's three different kind of buckets, as you put it, we have our youth programs that's from youth ages six to 14. They participate in soccer twice a year, spring and fall, and they're really we are really focused on you know supporting them with one just this positive experience like what I was saying earlier about these like childhood defining memories. Um, there's that part which is just about having fun, but then there's also about like the soft skills, the life skills, the social emotional learning that comes with intentional program design. So we make sure that all of our coaches have access to trauma informed, healing centered coaches training and that we are able to support them throughout the season before, during, and after so that they can utilize those skills that they learn in the training to support the youth when they're on the field. So really thinking about social-emotional learning life skills. Then we have our programs that reach high school age. So we have a girls' program. It's led by women, female-identifying coach mentors. It includes just access to soccer, so girls-only soccer, co-ed soccer, experiences that are really defined by the girls who participate in them, it's also additional fun social things, whether it be like going out to different events happening around the city or just connecting and in, 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 in conversing in, in meaningful ways that like can, can support girls to think about like, like um, the leader of the program, you know, Coach Chloe says, um, not only 
do they get to have fun and play soccer and get better at soccer, but then they think about how do they handle the challenges that they will face as women playing soccer, right? So there's the girls program, there's the youth leader program that Yusuf leads, which is really focused on the referee, you know, referee pathway, and it's also helping youth think about what they want to do after high school um, and getting the skills that they need and also supports them when they're working in our programs. And then the newest program we're launching in 2024 is the Global Soccer League. And that is a, a pathway for teenagers to post-secondary success. So it's a combination of a soccer league on Saturdays in the spring combined with post-secondary exploration, looking into colleges, two-year, four-year, trade school, like whatever that path might be and gaining skills that can help young people get employed, whether it's right now whether while they're in high school or and when they graduate. So those are the three different programs we have for teenagers and then our college program, which is in partnership with CCAC, which you are very familiar with. <laughs> and so um, the college program, it supports young adults to get their associate's degree, to think about and and prepare them to go to a four-year school or go into the workforce with the ultimate goal of increasing economic mobility. So we think about like Open Field's mission is to improve the lives and futures of youth through sport. College program is really focused on the futures, right? In the best way, I believe, and that organization I think is, is, is behind this too, is helping people make more money, increase, like build wealth for their families. Yep, yep. And so considering the success that, that Open Field has had and all these buckets of work that um, it's, just, it's just been objectively successful. Like we're growing, this team's growing, we're impacting more and more kids and, you know, e- between each season and each year and, and the impact just continues to, to bolster. Um, what is your, what have you seen as like the major transformations over, across this timeline of the overall immigrant soccer population in Pittsburgh? Um, and then what is your kind of vision for the next few years for this for this specific population in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think um, I think what I think what Haji's done with the with the with the league, the soccer in the community league is a really cool way to see like what kind of support or what kind of just community is available you know, through soccer for adult, for immigrant, you know, refugees here in Pittsburgh. Um, I, I think before that league, there was not like a space necessarily for them, you know, to play adult soccer in the region. Most teams need to, you know, you got, if you wanted to have your own team, you got to have access to a home field. Yeah. Um, you got to have a, a budget of really a couple, close to a couple thousand bucks to be able to pay referees, pay the registration fee and all that stuff. And a lot of that is just out of reach. Mm-hmm. So I think what Haji's done um, with soccer in the community, the league has done is just created like a, a pathway and an opportunity for teams just to play. And, um, you know, the community, the relationships that are built there, I, I don't doubt extend into people's social life and people, people's professional lives. So that's been really cool to see that happen. Yeah. Because before I don't know. I mean, there's, I mean, there's the Latino league. So I definitely don't want to like discount or or leave them out of the equation because um, that's a really important part of like soccer culture here for internationals. So no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, but yeah, from my you know my perspective um, or my experience in, in being so close to the soccer in the community league, I've been able to kind of witness that thing grow from four teams, six teams to you know over ten with, you know, 100-plus folks participating. Yeah. Um, I think what 
has also been, I mean, I'll say, I guess, what has been most interesting or the biggest kind of change or the arc that I've seen over the last five to 10 years is people really kind of outside the community realizing how important it is and how impactful it is. So people realizing finally and getting like, wow, soccer is really important to folks here. And it's not just, you know, because they're kicking a ball around or running around or it's just like another, you know, sport or another activity for to get my kid involved in. But it's like it's it is so essential to culture. And I think people are becoming more aware of that. Yeah. The second thing is like the benefit for impact. Like I think it's happening across the country and the world. But here in Pittsburgh, too, like it's people are realizing and honoring the fact that like sport like intentionally designed sport programs really do have an opportunity and really are creating positive impact in kids lives regardless whether they're foreign born or you know american born and so um i think that's been really cool to witness over the last five and ten years because ten years ago open field you know we wouldn't get funded like we wouldn't have the support that we do um to the point where, you know, I'm meeting next week with um, someone who is involved with the Remake Learning Network. And, you know, Remake Learning is really focused on STEM and STEAM and creative learning and just thinking outside the boundaries, outside the box, outside the classroom. And I was at their convening or their annual meeting a couple weeks ago, and this person says to me, like, why is there not a sport vertical? Like, why is there not a sport network or a sport group? So, you know, awesome. We're going to meet this week to, to talk about what that could look like. That's great, man. And then as far as your vision for the next few years, what, is, what does that look like in your head um, for, for both for open field and for the, for the population in general? Yeah, so, I mean, for open field, I'm really, you know, people always ask, like, are we going to go to other countries? Are we going to go to other cities? And really the answer is no. Like, we have our programming in, a couple, in three West African countries, the plan is to maintain there and grow when opportunities present themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but the real growth is just is going to happen like right here in Pittsburgh. Yep. You know, we want to grow deeper. We don't necessarily need to grow wider, but we just want to grow deeper. We want to make sure that we really create like a solid pathway for youth who are like, living in the region to be able to just, again, like have fun as kids, have fun and learn in a safe space. Um, through soccer and then get on this pathway to you know play more organized and competitively but when they're doing so in high school at least be thinking about what comes next and what comes next really needs to be grounded and rooted in like cultural humility for anybody that's kind of working to support the youth mm -hmm. um, and and just yeah being able to make sure that like everything we're doing is centered in the cultures where youth come from so that like we're not sending them to this college where they're going to drop out after the first semester because they're yeah. not prepared or they're not e not prepared maybe like educationally but just culturally it just like it's, it might not be the right fit so we yeah. really want to make sure that um or that you know taking a gap year or maybe going to the two-year school and getting on that you know getting that degree first before they go to a four-year school right um or doing a trade or doing a trade exactly yeah. like they're in getting support to start their own business i mean how many you know, how many immigrants are entrepreneurs, right? I feel like the two are interchangeable. Yeah. So, um, so really wanting to support that through our programming. And when we think about the greater, I mean, I mean, I'd love to see more, so like, I think, well, the one thing to say about that vision is like partnership is so essential to that, you know, working with organizations that are also working in this space, yeah. especially community, like organizations that are led by leaders from those communities, 
I think is so important. Like they get it, they see the importance of soccer, so they're e- you know e- easily able to get behind this vision and support it. And we wouldn't be able to do it without them. And so, similarly, when we think about like the greater soccer community and what you know connections mean for immigrants here, it's like how can we? And this is like the question I think people have been asking for a while, but just breaking down the the, the silo, the barrier, the financial, the logistical barriers that exist between these, you know, these high-level soccer and all the other community organizations and communities that want access to it but, but can't. And I think there, there are some clubs out there that want to make that happen. And, you know, I think as, as just the community kind of grows and evolves, like, there will be more pathways for that to happen. Hell yeah. Um, so we are running out of time for today, but is there anything you want listeners to kind of uh, – be in tune for uh, on the on the personal side like is there anything that like you want that you have coming up or uh that you want listeners to know before we uh before we get going here yeah i think um you know i'm always going to rep open field and i'm always yeah. going to um because because i believe in the work that we're doing as i know you do too and as mm-hmm. everybody on our team does and so many supporters like that are that are behind us and with us do so um i think i you know i'll challenge people to to if if you believe in this, this idea that, you know, sport, that soccer can make a difference and can change the world like we do, um, I'll challenge people to to support us, like give. Either support us with your time, mm. show up, be a, be a coach mentor, come out, you know, two nights a week for eight weeks, come to the training and, like, be a part of the community. Like, we're building a pretty amazing community, so you're, it'll be fun. Like you'll you'll see the benefit and the impact within the first season. Oh yeah. You stay for the second season, like most coach mentors do with our programs. You'll you'll see it. You know, season after season, year after year. So show up. You know, don't donate your time if you got it. If you don't got the time, donate your financial resources, your cash. Like we know that like that is the most impactful way. Time or treasure is the mm-hmm. most impactful way to to make a difference. And so if you do believe in this, then I challenge you to like show. You know, show it, like do it, donate, donate 25 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month, like whatever's meaningful, right? It's it's not so much of just doing it and, and being done with it, but it's like I, I, I challenge people to like give in a way that's meaningful, that when you see it on your bank statement every month, you feel good about it because you know that it's right. Like I'm not asking people to break the bank, but it's like it's it's not five bucks. Maybe it is five bucks. That's OK. You know what I mean? But. What is that? I would just challenge people to think like, what is a what is a, a meaningful amount, whether it's time again or or treasure, um, that you're that you'd want to invest to to make this happen because like it's it's happening and, and the more supporters we can get behind us, like the greater impact we can have and the faster we can realize this vision. That's a beautiful way to end it off. Uh, thank you so much again, Justin, for your time. Uh, it was a great conversation and uh, yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm happy to be here. Thanks everyone. Thanks, guys. Peace.